I'll do my very best to get this job that I so crave. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Fan Zone Debate. We are here in round one of the tournament uh, of the uh, 2023 tournament. I don't know. I'm used to saying Summer Series Tournament, hosting fandom, but this is the regular tournament. That's what it is right now. Uh, and uh, it's very exciting. It's been a long road, but we're getting towards the end of round number one. And we are at the seven seed and the 10 seed. The seven seed being Robert Kastner and the 10 seed being Richard Schwartz. Both underrated players, I think, in this game. Robert, known for his trivia skills, having a great season in fandom and melee. Um, and now coming back uh, to the debate ring. And Richard, someone who I think is sneaky good at debate. He's got really, really strong wins under his belt. Um, and then his last loss was to Cody, who's the current champion. So again, like Richard knows what he's doing. I've got two guys here. Thank you for bailing me out, gentlemen. Uh, we've got Brooklyn Vale. Brooklyn, it's been a while since we've seen you in the judging seat. I'm happy to have yeah. you back. How are you doing, my friend? And uh, what do you think of the matchup? Uh, it's it's I'm doing great. Uh, I have had this like second wind of like a love for debate. I think just like with with the the how close it is to like combat sports and how much you can apply that attack and defense. And I think in terms of defense, we're talking two of the two of the better players here. These guys are usually pretty calm, cool, and collected. Um, so you're not going to see them get like too riled up. And I'm just curious to see how they uh, how they perform. And Mark, uh, welcome back. You've been here for a couple of these tournament matches, and now you're back for another. How are you doing, my friend, and how do you feel about the matchup? Uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, um, I, I've enjoyed watching these guys in the past, and uh, and also getting a peek at the questions. They, they, got some, they got some interesting questions coming up. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to get into this. We're going to start by talking to the second uh, or the lower-ranked player, uh, Richard Schwartz. Richard, welcome back to the fanzo debate ring i always love having you here because uh you do a really good job and i think people underestimate your ability uh to debate in the league so you're back your last match i'm i, I was trying to find uh where it was i think the last time you played i got cody. swept by cody it was cody but again prior to that um you played andrew Barr and you won mm -hmm. that match and i think people were underestimating you in that one um so how are you feeling about this going in as the lower seed today um i'm feeling good i'm always exhausted because i'm going to be going to bed after this but you know it's always fun uh these were tough questions not really tough but like i was excited to get these questions and i'm going to wish Robert the best of luck it should be a fun match and hopefully I don't, like, twist my words like I usually do in these things. It's always fun. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to have you, Richard. Thank you for being here. And let's bring in the higher-ranked player, Robert Kastner. Robert, welcome uh, back to Fan Zone Debate. You're coming in today, uh, as I said, number seven seed. Uh, the last time we saw you, I want to say, was when you played, uh, you played Cody as well. You also, your last match was a loss to Cody in a number one contenders match. So both of you have that in common. Um, how are you feeling about the matchup, sir? Uh, I'm, just, and, uh, yeah. I'm just happy Cody's not here to... to <laughs> Judge this. Um, I'm really happy to be here for the for Fanlay, May yeah, fan. Yeah, big big fan. Uh, only fans. Is that what? The, no, wait. That's something no. different. No, something different. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm excited to be here to debate. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, that that it's that Cody match stung uh, a little bit for me, even though I got a point and I got you to uh, go against Monsters Inc. That was the crowning achievement of my debate. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> Crowning achievement. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I've been 
doing doing all my notes and doing all the stuff that I usually do. It's been more difficult now with child, uh, but I managed to find a way to do so. And I'm looking forward to debating Richard. These are fun questions. Awesome. All right. Well, here's how the show is going to work. Uh, Robert and Richard are going to debate some questions that uh, based off categories they drafted. I gave them the questions. They gave me the answers. They're going to debate those questions tonight before our very souls. They are going to get a one minute opening followed by a five minute free form followed by a one minute closing at the end of the debate, Brooklyn, Mark and I will write on our handy dandy boards, paper, phone, whatever you have, uh, who we think won that debate. Uh, two out of three votes wins you a point, And the first person to three points wins the match. Uh, if we are tied two to two going out of those prep questions, we will move to a bonus question. Should the time come uh gentlemen any questions as we get into the first debate no just don't want to get hit with a stick that's fair that's fair i do threaten that uh let's get into this first question was drafted by Robert. Uh, it is in the category of actors and actresses. And the question is simply, what is the best Jake Gyllenhaal performance? I love this question. This is timely at the time of recording. He has a new film out in theaters now, The Covenant, directed by Maggie's favorite director, Guy Ritchie. Uh, so, uh, Robert, you are going to get to kick this one off. You are going to have a one minute uh, when your time starts. I will come in to uh, give you a 10-second warning when the time comes one minute when you start talking so i drafted this question because you won't find a bigger jake gyllenhaal stand than me he's actually my favorite actor going um generally gyllenhaal has a tendency to play at one level consistently when he's going throughout a film but i decided to pick a performance where he doesn't do that where he shows a bunch of different layers where he actually shows evolution of a character and it plays off really well with the person he's the scene partner with i chose jack twist uh the rodeo cowboy from brokeback mountain uh, there's a myriad of reasons why Jake Gyllenhaal, this is his performance, is defining one. One big key is that it's the only performance he ever got nominated for an Oscar, and he lost to a career-defining performance by George Clooney and Siriana. But like I said, uh, there's a lot of situations where as you're going through his relationship with Heath Ledger, uh, he seems more like a person, whereas opposed to in other performances, he's playing a type and he's playing a characteristic and that's why I think this one really shines for him. I will go into more detail about why that is as we go through forward, but Brokeback is his best performance by far. Time. Perfect. All right, Richard, we're going to move over to you. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. What is the best Jake Gyllenhaal performance? To me, the best Jake Gyllenhaal performance is Louis Bloom in Nightcrawler. Uh, Louis Bloom is a man who takes up becoming a video photographer to uh, find crime and then sell it to the news. Why I feel like this character is the best, I mean, this is the best performance is he has to play so many different levels. He has to play like a, a man who um, seems charming and innocent at one point and then a deranged psychopath in another and kind of blended together nicely. And I feel like this performance was so well done so like it was like almost perfection but like he had to like mix around different types of characters all in one in like seconds and i will also go into it more why i feel like this is the best performance 
once we get to the fighting round. Okay. Sorry, I'm still trying to get used to getting my... have no two front teeth anymore, so I have to get used to talking like this. (laughs) You're good. All right, so uh, Nightcrawler versus Brokeback Mountain. Gentlemen, you have five minutes. When one of you starts talking, I will uh, throw the one-minute warning up when the time comes, and if I feel like someone is talking too much, I'll throw up the let's move on, and if Mm -hmm. I have to come in, I will beat you with a stick. So, uh, five minutes when one of you starts talking. I'll let you go first, Robert. Oh, okay. So, my biggest issue with Nightcrawler, I I like the performance of Nightcrawler, but my biggest issue with it, especially in comparison to Brokeback, is that from the outset of the movie, you said there's a bunch of different layers, but right from the jump, when we see him trying to break into a train yard and then get his way out of uh, being a trespasser and then assaulting a security guard and stealing his watch, we sort of already know what Louis Bloom is. He's a sociopath, he's manipulative, and he's violent. And this is kind of the same for what Jake Gyllenhaal does. Like I said, he sort of plays a characteristic. He does it compellingly. I, I love it, but he does it in a way that there's not a whole lot of evolution. Like we've seen him play uh, disjointed and somewhat of a, of a person on the outside, Donnie Darko. He does that. We've seen him play an obsessive, which he does very well in stuff like prisoners and Zodiac. And this is just sort of old hat to that. Whereas with Brokeback, you're seeing the evolution of a person because of how the relationship between him and Heath Ledger and Enos are manifesting over the course of 20 years. It has that benefit where it has a long-winded road to go in and to see him evolve over time, where I don't think we get that much with Nightcrawler. Um, I disagree. Like, even when you say off the bat when he's attacking the security guard, you, you don't know what the motivation, what he was doing at that place. It could have been like he was having a bad day. We don't know. You know, something could have gone through his head where, again, he could be very well autistic. They don't go into if he has any medical condition, but that was my mindset watching it. He's like, he might be like somewhat autistic. Whereas I feel like when you say you were, you're uh, the Brokeback Mountain character has, he has the same layer. I don't know where he's saying he has multiple layers. Like he's, it's a very slow, like a very slow, like type of play he plays throughout the majority of the film. And like even when the Heath Le- Heath him and Heath Ledger first get together, it like came out of like nowhere. There was like no like motivation. Like they were talking a little bit during the campfire, and then he moves into the like the tent, and now all of a sudden they're you know making love. But also like it's a great performance. Don't get me wrong. But I think the most impact of that movie was when it came out during its time because this was like the first time like in a while that you, you seen like a movie like this during like the early 2000s where like, you know, it, it was, I mean, gay people were accepted, but you know, it was still like, you know, people were afraid to come out of the closet this time. And I feel like that was more of a shock for that shock factor for uh, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal than there's actual performance. I can't deny that it, there's a stigma placed with it and wondered of its time, but you said there's, there's no, I mean, they have a series of conversations leading up to the point and then they get drunk, which is obviously the, um, the catalyst for them getting together. But you see him go from someone who doesn't talk a whole lot. He's a bit reserved, but he has a little bit of a playful side and you see how not having an unrequited, op- not available open love affair, how it burdens him you see that like when he comes up after he hears enos has gotten divorced and enos has his kids and he's like i can't do this right now jack you have to come back he drove hundreds of miles to come with him and then you see like there's a a microcosm of adjacent between when he's going up and he's singing in the car and he's so uh 
effusive. And then when he's rejected, he's so there's so much pain in that. That's not just what he's uh, evoking from his face, but it's everything that you feel that he's not expressing as well as he goes to Mexico and he starts trying to live out sort of his fantasies. So I think there's more layers to it than you want to give it credit for. I think like as he's going over time and his family life is developing, like as he's getting angry and angrier, he has that scene at Thanksgiving with his father-in-law where his father-in-law and him are butting heads and he has that, ten- you know, he's uh, trying to be the alpha male. So I think there's a lot of layers to that. I think with Nightcrawler, um, I think a lot of what makes up. Uh, oh, okay. Um, when you're saying like, you know, he has a playful side and, you know, not talking much side, the playful side, we've seen him like when he was in Bubble Boy. The um, talking side, like, you know, when he's being hesitant, being kind of shy, we've seen his that performance in Day After Tomorrow. But it's what, what makes what makes my character uh, far more better performance is like just for all the scene where he literally looks himself in the mirror and starts screaming like you see him like calming just like that burst of emotion that also he has to play a character who's kind of like innocent and suave. But at the same time, you can see that twist of like psychotic things he has slightly when he's blackmailing uh, Nina. I think also what sets my character from your character apart from performance-wise is, you know how they always get Tobey Maguire? They always say look alike. I feel like Tobey Maguire can do Brentwood Mountain. Tobey Maguire could not do the film Nightcrawler. No, I mean, he could in Tropic Time. Thunder. All right. Uh, we're going to start with Richard. Richard, you get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. I enjoy Jake Gyllenhaal's performance of Brokeback Mountain, but I think for the most part um it people when they talk about broke back mom they talk about you know it was two guys kissing two guys making love you know two straight men who are pretending who are you know playing gay characters whereas and also um people will talk more about heath ledger's performance because he is you know sadly has passed on during this time whereas uh, there are so many different levels of Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler where he has to play multiple, like multiple characters, multiple emotions all at once. Where I feel like it's a lot easier Jake Gyllenhaal to play his role in Brokeback Mountain because there wasn't too much depth of a level of character. It was, some, uh, yeah. So, sorry, uh, I end the rest of my turn. Beth, I am busy. Okay. All right. So we're gonna bring in Robert. Robert, you have uh, one minute when you start talking to close your argument. Richard said we didn't know what Lewis Bloom was like at the beginning because we didn't know what his tendencies were. I mean, he's a thief. He goes and he sells the copper wiring and the fencing right away. So we know exactly what he is, and that just builds on. He gets more comfortable with the idea of being a stringer and, and filming crimes, but he's the same throughout. It's not the same as Brokeback. And actually in Brokeback, as a comparison to Heath, he has to play at that level, and he has less pathos to deal with. So he actually has the harder job to maintain to live up to that. And they both got nominated for an Oscar. I know there's that stigma of it being a same-sex relationship done in this Oscar-type movie, but it's not just about that. It's about how he plays into that relationship, how they do the give and take, how he progresses over time. It's not one note. It's more one note in Nightcrawler. There's a lot of performances that boost Nightcrawler outside of Jake Gyllenhaal. There's a lot of the expert writing and directing of Dan Gilroy, the setting of LA, especially at night that makes up that movie. Whereas if it's not for the, the give and take the seesaw relationship between Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal broke back, doesn't work. So that's why it is the more masterful performance. Okay. <clears throat> so we will bring in the judges. 
Sorry, my sister came in, so that kind of distracted me. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. You, you, I literally was just coming at you at like 10. Yeah. Ooh. All right, judges ready? Yeah. Okay. Um, I went with Robert. Um, I thought that both were good, actually. Um, I think that both had a really good understanding of both of their performances and their opponents' performances. Um, but I think at the end of the day, what kind of swung it for me was Richard was kind of selling it as like a multi-layered performance where broke back was kind of like Heath Ledger might have been the the more um, the one that you gravitate towards more because of the real life things. But I thought Robert was very uh, well able to explain why Jake Gyllenhaal was just as good, if not better, than Heath Ledger, and why his Nightcrawler performance, while good, um, is maybe a little bit more um, not as multi-layered as Richard was making it out to be. So I thought it was it was a good fight on both ends, but I went with Robert. Mark, where are you going in life? Uh, yeah, I also went with uh, Kastner. Um, it, it says Kastner. Um, yeah, um, I, I I think where, where Robert kind of won me, like um, kind of honestly a little bit of his opening, kind of going on his opening, how the Jack Twist uh, performance is where Joan Hall's playing a person and then i thought he had a he had he, like he he had a pretty decent when richard brought up that uh lewis bloom he has to go in a like he has to go in a lot of levels in him but robert like i think countered that pretty well by saying we kind of know who lewis bloom is from the the very get-go of the film like and it's just like in i, th I thought that was a pretty nice hit and like so that's more or less what i want with robert okay brooklyn your vote doesn't count where would you have gone and why um, I also went Robert. Um, I thought he did a really good job defending um, the plethora of attacks that Richard was kind of thrown at him. I thought Richard went pretty heavy on that, like with the whole like they played gay to 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 win an Oscar and whatnot. But I think Robert did a really good job responding to that, that the lack of build in the performance when he's talking about like the burden of the relationship and the whole Thanksgiving scene. Uh, so yeah, that's where that's where I swayed. Okay. All right, so Robert wins the first point, but we are going to move on to the next question, which was drafted by Richard. It was in the category of the MCU, and the question was, what is the worst Phase 4 MCU action scene? Richard, you get to go first. You have one minute when you start talking. See, this is actually kind of tougher than usual, even though some of the MCU movies in uh, Phase 4 weren't as good like as previous phases. Um, most part, all the action is pretty good, except for one, in my opinion. And I chose the America Chavez versus Wanda um, fight scene in Doctor Strange to uh, Multiverse of Madness. This, to me, was the worst fight action sequence because um, for multiple reasons. I don't want to go into it until I get to the fight, but I will just say um, a lot of convenience that had to happen during this fight scene. A lot of convenience happened. A lot of like just wildness and like un things that happened that weren't like natural to either characters. And I will go more into the American Chavez is Wanda. Okay. Ending about 10 seconds early. We're going to move over to Robert. Robert, you have one minute when you start talking. What is the worst 
phase four MCU action scene. So I know when a lot of people debate best versus worst uh, action scenes, when they think of worst, they usually bring up pacing, impact on the rest of the movie. Was it cool or not? All these things. But I think one important factor for that should be whether an action scene makes you physically ill to watch. And that is why I chose my scene, which is the final fight of Act 3 in Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings, which is Shang-Chi and the Great Protector and Ji Ling versus the Dweller in Darkness. We already had sort of the quintessential culmination fight right before this. And this is just empty calories on top of what was a chef's kiss meal. There's, it's the thing that MCU movies do where it tries to CGI-ify the end part so that it makes it big on a scale. But we didn't need that. It was already big of enough of a scale in the previous fight. There's so much swirling color and sound being thrown at you. It's too much. There's too much input. That's why it sucks, and it didn't need to be there. Time. All right. Uh, so the end of Doctor Strange 2 versus the end of Shang-Chi. Gentlemen, you have five minutes when one of you starts talking. All right. Um, I love your action scene. Like, it is such a beautiful, like, sequence of, like, the way the two dragons are, like, you know, dodging each other, the ways. It was just a beautiful scene, especially with uh, Shang-Chi and his sister on top on top i just like yeah it is a cgi versus a cgi but we have a lot of those in the mcu to begin with and you know they enjoy it like some of the you know thanos versus hulk was fun to watch hulk abomination was fun to watch this was also just fun to watch this richard the difference between those cgi fights and this one is that those are two corporeal beings these are swirling masses of giant creatures and when you add in swirling water on top of it, and then they do the shaky cam where they move it, it's like playing a God of War game, but you're not, when they do first person camera, there's a lot of shakiness. I don't, I mean, I'm glad you could differentiate it, but I couldn't as I was watching it. It was so much. Your scene, at least, because it's two people fighting, I know what's going on. And at least unlike my scene where we already had the payoff, emotional payoff, this is an emotional payoff moment. You might not like it, but at least it goes from America Chavez being a plot device to actually realizing her power. And as part of it, it has an impact on Wanda. Speaking of plot device, the whole point of the uh, America Chavez throughout the whole movie was she couldn't control her powers. Because she, yeah. she couldn't control her powers. And all of a sudden, towards the end, she can control her powers just with what, a motivational speech. Whereas, yeah. No, that's, that is lazy. They had like no time for training, no time... To do anything like she literally and then all of a sudden she's able to like beat wanda and also like that whole little uh-huh uh-uh was so cringeworthy whereas yours you you already had a payoff like you're saying you didn't have an emotional payoff for uh characters it did it had an emotional payoff for aquafina she was able to get the final the bow and arrow to uh you know to subtract distract what, what was the the bad dragon's names like the musk or something the dweller in dark the dweller yeah that was a payoff moment for her Oh, Richard, first of all, you're going to talk about people not having training. Aquafina had an afternoon to train. Yeah, okay, she had hours. Yes, she had hours of training. And like, even if you don't, even if you're a novice or have never done a bow and arrow, you can get some training done. The Dweller in Darkness was hundreds of feet in the air and she hit it in the perfect spot in with her last arrow. By the way, when they're telling the story, retelling the story after I'd already seen it, it feels so contrived when we're doing the recount of it. It's ridiculous. And at least... America Chavez, she did have some training at Kamertash. She did get to learn a little that bit. That was towards, was, that I, was the ending of the film. 
No. Where she got and the training. No, she didn't get no, any training when she was there in the beginning. No. She was just there to be uh, guarded by the other uh, sorcerers. She, she had no training there. She learned a bit while she was there. I mean, she was No, there no she didn't. She only learned towards the end of the film. That's when she started her training. We'll say that they both had minimal training at the least. But at, like I said, at, at least America gets to go. Like, yes, people have... Mo you said there are CGI parts in MCU movies. There are stupid speeches that happen that motivate people. That's just what happens in MCU movies. Yeah, the writing's lazy. But at least we get to see her. And she doesn't really beat Wanda. She uses her mind because she can't beat Wanda straight on power to open up a portal to show her her kids who get scared of her that then flips her to the conclusion. So at least there's an emotional impact. Okay, but that but that whole conclusion about like her kids and everything, Doctor Strange told her told Wanda this right in the beginning of the film. And she went to think, now just because she sees the kids, sees her other self, she finally no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she had no visual rep she had no way to have the emotional and also, impact of that until uh, also with uh your your film, yours like, you know, it's inspired by, you know, the you know, Chinese films. Chinese films are very extravagant, very like fluid motions, like Crouching Tiger Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon had a lot of those aspects. A yeah, lot of other Japanese films with the, the dragons. They did all the fluid motion in the Shang-Chi Wenwu fight. That's what I'm saying. Uh, everything that we needed, the character building moment and where Shang-Chi actually realizes the hero he is, that happens when he fights his dad. But, Nothing like that happens during this Dweller in Darkness but, fight. I mean, Shang-Chi's dad, dad is a villain, but the, the Dweller was also the main villain. What was The whole point was to protect... Was it, what, was it, what is the town's name? Shailong? Tai Lao. Tai Lao. Tai Lao. It was protect the great protector and you know the dweller wanted to come out that was the big big baddie he was just the shang chi's dad was the side baddie no I so mean, yes you did have to the guy who's there the whole time it's, we just hear whispers of the dweller yeah but we hear about the dweller throughout the whole pretty much the whole film so we of course we need to see where the dweller is we need to see the great protector and it's because you didn't like you said you, you didn't like the because of what make you sick when you're watching yeah it? i couldn't managed to keep my eyes straight because everything was swirling around me that's well, i mean not a i very well could i mean i understand that could be for you but most people time yeah yeah strike it from the record uh robert we're gonna start with you you got one minute when you start talking as i mentioned all the emotional baggage everything that happens with shang chi and wen wu is the main crux of the act three fight that we needed. It has nothing to do with the dweller in darkness. Uh, Richard can keep saying that it was beautiful, but really it was too much to handle too much input, at least with his scene. Uh, America Chavez gets to be the hero that she's supposed to be. We get to see a unique power set when she fights against Wanda and she gets to drive towards the resolution of Wanda sacrificing herself. In my scene, there's too much going on. You don't know what's happening. It's empty calories. If you want first person pan up fighting scale, uh, with a large monster scaling up, play God of War. If you want to watch beautiful choreographed fights between abnormally powerful beings high in the air where the term Kamehameha is used and is used well, watch Dragon Ball Z. If you want to see CGI monsters attempt to suck the soul out of victims through their mouths, watch Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban with the Dementors. All of those things are better than this end fight with the Dweller in Darkness, which is too much to handle. Time. I made a face because uh, currently Maggie and I are watching Goblet, <laughs> Goblet, Goblet of Fire. So one movie nice. off. One movie off. Um, okay. So, uh, we are going to bring in Richard. Richard, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. The 
Great Protector Dweller scene was amazing. It was great. Um, just because my opponent thinks it was unnecessary does not mean it was not necessary. Every Aquafina needed her moment. Her character needed her moment, and she got her moment to that scene. The two dragons fighting each other was really beautiful, really great. It was inspired by you know Chinese lore, Chinese fantasy lore, which I think the MCU adapted and is also makes it unique. Whereas the America Chavez fight scene was completely just it came like it was not necessarily came out of nowhere, but like the whole point of like the whole point of her movie, she could never control her powers. There was no like even indication that she could ever control her powers right until the Doctor Strange speech. And it also, that fight scene kind of hurt Wanda's character because Wanda was an Avenger. She learned to harness her powers for many years, whereas America Chavez didn't. I just think uh, my scene is the worst because um, way too many things came out of nowhere that made no sense, whereas everything in uh, Shang-Chi made sense and gave time. All right. We'll bring in the judges. Yeah, when I came in uh, before this question, in the background, it was the where our voices sound, we cannot sing up off the clouds. And I was like, I hope they don't hear it. Um, okay. Harry, don't just go for Ron and get out of there. Win the round. Yeah, right. Dummy. Did you put your name in the cup of the fire, <laughs> Yes, I did. Okay, I'm ready to go. How about the other judges? Yeah. Okay. Um, Brooklyn, why don't you kick this one off? You're muted. Sorry, let's try that again. Um, I don't think this was the best fight. We went off the rails a little bit. I think the whole, like, like the whole training thing like did that count or not was kind of the kind of where it all started um but i ended up going up with, going with robert yeah. i think his closing uh was really well um and i think it was just kind of came down to like the cinematography of uh robert scene versus kind of like the cringiness and everything that was happening happening in richard richards i decided i thought that robert did a better job okay um i went with richard um may the shorts be with you um <laughs> I, Robert actually had me at one point, um, and the the thing that kind of lost me was, I agree with Brooklyn. I thought this kind of went off the rails a little bit. I thought Richard's closing was super strong, and on the whole, if I was the fighter, uh. I would have thrown on uh, if I was Robert in this scenario. I would have. I definitely talked about the fact that the the action scene of America versus Scarlet Witch is basically non-existent in the sense that she kind of like throws like two punches and, and and whatnot. And Richard was actually able to explain to me like really interesting things action-wise going on with the scene now. Robert was exp able to explain to me like negative things about like yes the, I, I, again Brooklyn said he discounted the like character training and stuff like that's a, I, I understood why they kind of went down that road like I think Robert was was able to poke holes in the scene um, 
but I think Richard actually did do a really good job, especially in his closing of being able to say like this big uh, dweller in darkness. They've talked about it the whole movie. It came up, they fought it. It was awesome. And the, the, the jab about bringing up how Scarlet, Witch was, was a fucking Avenger. Uh, and then just gets like smacked by some teenager. I thought was, it was a pretty good hit. So I, on the whole, both good job to both of them, but I, I, I go with Richard. Can I do a point of order before Mark? I was going to mention what you said, Tim, but I figured since you let the scene go in that that would just be in poor taste. Oh no. I mean, I definitely, well, that, that would be, that would be up to Richard to be like, well, they accepted it. Uh, anyway, uh, Mark, your vote is uh, the deciding factor. Where are you going? Interesting. <laughs> well, um, I mean, um, I feel like you both kind of said it. Uh, I feel like uh, we went in some odd places with this fight. But, you know, that being said, I did go with Richard here. Um, I, I, I mean, if you, I feel weird talking about it because you know I don't actually compete in, in this division. Although I do think on some level, I think Robert maybe made a technical error on this one with his choice of fight, just because at least with here, it sounded like his fight was at least kind of fun. Like I would have fun watching it. And I feel like Richard made an argument to why his scene wasn't fun. And it also didn't, uh, it also, it also kind of had like some lazy themes and kind of lazy writing in it, which didn't make it make sense. It would, and I think that's kind of that, 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 that was kind of, you know, where we were on. I almost feel like Robert was kind of fighting with one hand behind his back the whole time. So like, yeah. I, I feel like Richard kind of got an easy win here. That's fair. All right. So it's one to one out of uh, question two. Uh, we are going to move on to the next question, which was drafted by Robert. It is in the category of DreamWorks. The question is, what non-franchise DreamWorks film has the best villain? Uh, so, Robert, you get to kick this one off. You have one minute when you start talking. So when you think of non-franchise DreamWorks in the arrangement of movies in this category, there's a lot of silliness, and frankly, there's a lot of bad movies, which is fair considering they haven't made any sequels to any of these movies. It's not franchise-based. So locating a villain, villain amongst this list who isn't an also-ran or uninspiring was pretty tough. So I decided to go with the one who's the most fun, who encapsulates their movie the best, and that is Professor P.P. Diaristine Poopy Pants Esquire from Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. Um, in, a, in a movie where hero the hero wears only underpants, Professor Poopy Pants fits in perfectly. And with that name, as I described it, how could you not have fun with someone who offers this Lex Luthor-like supervillain quality while having this snark behind him of a Nick Kroll who does his voice mastering this voice work that he's done on for you know many years now uh with this great dialogue in these raunchy settings you know dumbing it down for the sake of doing it for a kid's movie so that's why i chose professor poopy pants because it makes the most sense to me amidst the movie time okay uh richard we're gonna move on to you you have one minute when you start talking this was really hard because when you're taking out non-franchise dreamworks villains you're like leaving like maybe four so I went with uh, Ramses from the Prince of Egypt. Ramses and, um, was the son of the Pharaoh whose um, adopted brother, Moses, as you might know if you guys have read the Bible. Uh, they grew up together. They cared about each other. They felt like real brothers. When Moses attacks a guard later in his life, he leaves. 
and Ramsey becomes the pharaoh. He Moses returns to try to free his people, and now Ramsey is now basically in the country to either love his brother or to fight for freedom. I think he is the best villain because you can relate to this person. You 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 see the pain in his eyes, the hatefulness when he does become the true villain and um he is a person to be feared and to be scared and i will explain more when i go to my fighting and man this is going to be fun around <laughs> i mean to, yeah to to argue <laughs> professor booby pants versus biblical character it is going to be fun uh five minute free form but one of you starts talking. i'll let you go first Rob. Okay. so richard you sort of brought it up but i have a lot of problems with ramses in general but for the sake of this argument. One, half the movie, he's not even a villain. He's just sort of, again, he's the real brother to, uh, he's the real son to the Pharaoh. He's uh, Moses' adopted brother. Moses had killed someone. He returns. He's still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then when they start actually butting heads theologically and philosophically, Ramsey's whole plan is to ignore him. That's it. All this stuff happens, all this devastation, and Ramsey's is like, okay. I mean, that's my brother, so I'll just ignore him. And that's basically it. He lets his priest try to manage the theological front of this uh, issue, and they don't do it. He doesn't do anything other than that till the end when he lets them go. And then there's like a whole not a lot of motivation for Ramses other than living up to his father, which is the same word if any royal who tries to live up to his father's legacy. So there's not a whole lot of agency that Ramses has, where at least Poopy Pants, he's doing something, he's having fun, he's trying to control and get rid of children's laughter, which makes a lot of sense in the context of the movie because of his stupid name. Yeah, and there's the thing. He's laughing the whole time, and so is the audience. Like, I think a villain, you at least need to be at least feared or to be at least, like, you need want them to cheer against. You kind of don't want to cheer against uh, Professor Poopy Pants. Like, um, if you want to go the best villain in your film, Probably want to do the townspeople. The townspeople are assholes throughout the whole thing. Like, I think more people are sympathetic to Professor Poopy Pants. I don't think anyone could take him seriously as a villain, like, especially with the name. Even I know this movie's for kids, but I just don't think kids could take him seriously as a villain. You don't, he doesn't really, he's not really a threat to anyone. He, he takes over the school. He, he, he grows a toilet. He, he makes it toxic. And then he takes away children's ability to laugh. Yeah, but like, and he's going to do it. He's going to finish it. Whereas, okay, Ramses, yes, he wasn't like necessarily a villain starting off. But when, especially when he loses his son to because of Moses and, and the, the plague, you see the hate, like the despair, the anguishness. When you see the look in his eye, when he looks at Moses, the pure hatred, the pure hatred of Moses. It, it, it's, it would scare me. It's you know, intimidated a lot of people, whereas Professor Poopy Pants is just not intimidating at all. And I think as a villain, no matter, how, no matter how outlandish and like silly this movie is, you still need to have somewhat of a severity of like, at least even for a moment of, oh my god, this guy is terrifying or this guy is going to do it. You don't really do it. Like, he's just joking. And your Professor Poopy Pants looks like the professor from Jimmy Neutron, if you know what I'm talking about. I think it's like if Einstein and Blofeld had a baby and they dressed him like a Southern televangelist, which is epic and in and of itself. And that's the name of the movie. It's the first epic movie. I think you're trying to put too much pathos in a DreamWorks movie. And yours is based on the Bible, so I understand why you want to do that. But Ramses has no character. Everything he does is as a he absolutely well, He absolutely he has, has a character. He's to Moses. That's all he does. Even to the point at the end 
when he lets them go, we don't see the, the lead up to what motivates him to want to track down Moses and the people. We just see everything from Moses's perspective until the Egyptians get there. Well, why don't no, we get to spend any time with Ramses outside of his interactions with Moses? Why? You, you understand why he went after him? Because he killed his son. He took the last... Well, why didn't he go after them then? Why did he let him go? Because he was then? grieving. He was in despair. Like... He was still grieving for his child. Like when you're grieving, like you're you you're not all the way in your mindset right there. And again, he has a character. He when he's younger, he's trying to live up to his father. His father actually preferred Moses over him. He wanted his father to respect him, to to treat him as an equal, to become a future king. Whereas there really is no character to Professor Poopman's other than he 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 wants to get revenge because people kept laughing at him because of his name. That's he not a gonna, good enough. He was going to get the Nobel Prize, and they wouldn't take him seriously. He was a professor, a scientist of serious uh, clout, and they wouldn't take him seriously. So he decided to get revenge on everyone. That by taking away their laughter, that's not a really villainous like. Oh, I mean, you you're talking you're talking doing brain surgery essentially on people against their will is not villainous. That's absolutely villainous. In, the in this movie, it was not going to hurt anyone other than taking your laughter. Whereas you know. What's what's a what's a worse plot? You know, taking away someone's laughter or enslaving an entire group of people. He let them go though, he and then he would change his mind. And he also yeah, when they were slaves, he, his, he would he have his people his torture them when they weren't doing their work good enough. And by the way, they turn into zombies when they lose their laughter. So it's not like they don't nothing happens. They lose their free will, which is a big freaking deal. I think so. Do slaves in this in my film? My film. Strike it from the record. Uh, uh, Richard, we're going to start with you first on this one. Uh, you get one minute when you start talking. It's kind of hard to debate two different types of villains into two completely different types of films. I will say what makes my villain the better villain other than uh, Professor Poopy Pants is you, need, you take Ramsey seriously. That's when you see, there has been moments where you just see the hate and the desire, like when he loses his grieving son, you see the intent. You People are afraid and intimidated of him watching this. Professor Poopy Pants is never really intimidating throughout any of the film. Like, he tries to be, but he always with that accent of his, with him like, you know, hopping up and down, just over-exaggerating. I don't think kids take him seriously. I don't think if kids are laughing at the professor, watching the movie constantly throughout the whole film. I don't think that's a good representation of the best villain because the best villain is supposed to at least scare you or intimidate you just the slightest. Whereas Ramses, he does, he goes after them. He tries to murder his own brother and then the people and the scene. Okay. Uh, we're going to move over to Robert. Robert, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Richard said you relate to Ramses. I was never royal trying to live up to father's expectations. Um, and also he doesn't really try to do anything to stop Moses throughout the movie. He's weak, he's petulant, he's pouty throughout. That doesn't change with the added burden of responsibility. Professor Poopy Pants is a world that's turned against him. He's trying to do all he can to get rid of laughter because that's the thing that's burdening him. And he enslaves a school. He He's going to enslave the town. He has grand designs. Yes, he's funny, but that's the course of the movie. He's supposed to be funny. All, at the first scene, when he's doing all these mad genius inventions, he's sarcastically talking about the wonders of the American public school system. He's snarky, and that's what I want from this type of movie from a villain. Someone who's biting, sarcastic, he appeals to kids and adults. And, I mean, it's a kid's movie. They can be intimidating, but they can also be funny. That's, he understood the assignment. 
I don't think Ramsey's did. I don't give a crap about Ramsey because he doesn't exist beyond the scope of reacting to Moses. Time. I hope you guys heard. I have to clean Bucky's ears when we're done. Uh, Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, Bring in the judges. We're also entering the third task. I hope you guys know. Oh, no. Maggie and I watched Sorcerer's Stone back in like what October? December. December. Yeah. It's taken us this long to get to Goblet of Fire, so that's the life I'm living right now. What it, it's trying to watch movies with a kid. It's a very yeah. similar process. We've been watching movies together. We just every night I'm like, okay, we can watch this or we can watch the next Potter movie. Yeah, let's watch something else. Yeah. Potter's long as fuck. Okay. Um Mark, you're kicking this one off. Cool. Uh, you know, I think what needs to be said here at the beginning is I think Robert is the real villain here since he has constructed a way to get everybody on screen to say Dr. Poopy Pants. And <laughs> Professor that's mean. So don't appreciate that. That being said, I did go with Robert in this one. Um, I, I mean... I, I feel like even though you know Richard had the points of you know nobody takes him seriously, I do. That that I think that is the kind of the point of this villain. I think kind of Robert very clearly say that throughout, and then kind of with the hit of Ramsey's not really doing anything. I think that's kind of also that that also that also kind of like where I I feel like it is just gonna say I feel like the more villainous of these characters was probably. Dr. Poopy Pan, so I feel like I had to go Robert here. Brooklyn. Uh, this was actually like razor fucking thin. Um, I thought these were two really good arguments for for kind of like what you should be doing for villains. Like there's a, like there's gonna be the intimidating villain or there's going to be like the fun villain that you're that you're gonna that you're gonna kinda laugh laugh along with. And I thought they did a really good job. I think what it came down to was the substance of the attack going to the other side. And for that, I'm going with Robert. I think he did a really good job of kind of rounding out the, oh, well, he's like, because I thought Richard, I thought Richard did a really good job of being like, oh, well, he's intimidating and like the whole, the whole slave work and whatnot. And it's just like, well, Robert is like, well, he's just, he's just petty. He was weak. I thought, I thought, I thought that was a really good, uh, really good job, but. Okay, my vote doesn't count. Um, I also went with Robert. Um, I thought that, honestly, I agree with both of you. I think that he just did a really good job of explaining why uh, Pooby Pants, which, by the way, those books are incredible, um, is, is, is a great fucking villain for that movie. And that even, and Richard was kind of going on and on about how the movie's not that serious. It's not that in, like intense. You want a villain that's threatening, blah, blah, blah. And Robert was like, for the movie that we have here, it's it, it works perfectly. And he's still doing some fucked up shit. He didn't say that the way that I'm saying it. But uh, that's basically what he said. So I thought this was a great fight. Um, so Robert is up 2-1. Richard needs to hit this in order to send it to the speed round. The next question uh, was drafted by Richard. It is in the category of sports. 
And the question is, which member of the Mighty Ducks team would you want to teach you hockey? Um, not a fan of Canada anymore, gentlemen. Uh, so, uh, Richard, you get to kick this one off. You got one minute when you start talking. Which member? Um, to, if I want to learn how to teach hockey, I would want to learn from the best player of the Mighty Ducks team. Someone who can teach me to be the very best that I can be. And that's why I chose Adam Banks. Adam Banks was arguably the best player on the Mighty Ducks team. Um, in the first movie, he started off being on against the opposing team, the Hawks, and then making fun of the other Ducks. And then later on, uh, Gordon Bobbe was able to um, use his lawyer stipulations to bring Adam Banks to the Mighty Ducks team, whereas he, ever since then, he became a faithful member leading up to even the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. I think Adam, Adam Banks would be the best member because he has learned a lot from his mistakes, from his experiences, and he's also the best player, in my opinion, on the team. So obviously I want to be the best. I need to learn from the best. I conclude the rest of my time. Okay. Ending about five seconds early, we're going to bring in Robert. Robert, you are up. One minute. Are you sir, Pop? Sometimes as a debater, you get nervous about trying to grasp for the low-hanging fruit of the obvious answer. Sometimes it's easiest to gather for sustenance. So I did that, and I went with Charlie Conway. There are literally conversations, especially in D2 The Mighty Ducks, in a scene Charlie references he and Bombay have where they conversed that he believed he would be a better coach than a player, which is clear because he's not the most talented player, but he evokes leadership role. He has a lot of knowledge about the game. He was the captain for the team throughout the movies. And when you're the captain, you're essentially the extension of the coach on the field. Uh, Adam Banks, yes, he's a great player. But usually someone who's preternaturally talented like that, does it doesn't mean that they can translate into coaching and teaching me about something, about like playing hockey, which that all I really know about Adam Banks is that he can play hockey well. I've never heard him speak more than a sentence at a time. I don't know whether he could relate to me the inner machinations of the game of hockey to a point that I would understand it because I've never heard him have a long conversation where Charlie has talked a lot and I know he knows a lot. Time. Okay. Uh, Charlie versus Adam. You guys get one, uh, five minutes when one of you starts talking. The question is, is who you want, who, which member do you want to teach to play hockey, not who you want to be the coach. And I think Adam Biggs is the best best person to teach you hockey because he knows how to play the game extremely well he can be patient with you he can help you learn all the moves whereas charlie he was a nice kid in the first two movies the third movie he was a complete dick he walked out on his whole team because he didn't like how the coach his new coach was teaching things he didn't like they were changing things he couldn't learn to adapt as a good player does do in the game of sports. And I don't want someone to teach me to play hockey if they're not good at learning to adapt. Richard, some of the best coaches and people who teach, and by the way, coaching and teaching sort of go hand in hand. I know what you're saying, but they, they do go hand in hand. Some of the best people who teach and coach and get the most out of people have an attitude problem. Bobby Knight I guess, is just someone I could think of uh, right off the bat. Um, Adam Banks could try to teach me something, but given his talent level of hockey, and I am not that talented, how am I supposed to know that I can do those moves? He might teach me things that I have no clue. I'm not coordinated enough. Charlie started off being Spazway Conway, and I at least knew he uh, progressed to a point where Bombay was comfortable enough to teach him the triple deke, and he won the championship for them. And again, he was the captain throughout. And yeah, he was uh, had anger problems in the third one, but he was still trying to teach. He was still helping Fulton skate. 
And this is after Fulton's played hockey for years. So at least I know that he was still looking out for his team and he got the captainship back and he learned how to play hockey a different way for the betterment of the team, which is something that I would want to be relayed to me, all the different aspects of hockey. Uh, Fulton already learned, knew how to skate by D3. He was just hanging out with them because they were really close friends. Adam Banks, um, he had the same training as Charlie did with Gordon Bombay. Maybe not as long, like halfway through, but even D2, D3, he had the same kind of training. He knows, and he's worked with the original members of the Mighty Ducks and the current members, so he knows other people who are not as good as him, how he can learn to adapt. Charlie, like I said, when the co- he walked out on his team, and even when we're going to the Mighty Duck Game Changers, the TV show, which, by the way, that is canon, so it should, it, 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 it is canon for this argument, He's no longer speaking to Gordon Bombay as a coach. He lost faith in them. I just want to say, I want to jump in. This won't affect your time. We do not let TV affect, so that will not be part of the... Okay, sorry. I will I will disagree with that. Again, D3, he did walk around the team just because he didn't like how things wandled. As a player, as someone you want to play sports, you have to learn to adapt with you know new rules of the game or games that you're not comfortable with. You have to go right through it. Adam Banks always... He wasn't. Adam Banks team. wasn't there. He was. He was a varsity player. We don't know what kind of rules. Yeah, because he was that he good. Have to because he was already Adam Banks, the player who was on the varsity. And Richard, I was talking about when they're doing the the drills at practice, and Fulton and him are doing laps, and he's teaching. He's still training him to skate. That's not when they got kicked off. That's while they're still on the team. And Charlie did learn from those mistakes and come back. So you can harp a lot on D three, but there's three movies. And Adam Banks, you said, was there for a lot of the training. A lot of the times he's hurt. And frankly, I don't want a fragile person like Adam Banks trying to teach me a, 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 a tough sport like hockey. And by the way, he's pretty whiny as well. I want someone who meshes with my learning style, not someone who complains a lot because he happens to be rich and the people make fun of him. Because Charlie was rich. really whiny too in D3, quite a bit throughout pretty much the whole movie. But we had No, it, it was a bit there in the middle, but he was not whiny at the beginning. He was not whiny at the end. He was, wasn't whiny through the first two movies. And That's also in uh, D3, when they were doing the scrimmage, you know, uh, the varsity versus, uh, what, what were the JV versus varsity, he, he illegally checked banks. Like, I don't want someone teaching me to play dirty. And that was something it's that was in the hockey, though, sometimes. Yeah, but that was the whole point of Charlie in the first movie was he didn't want to learn to play dirty. And then growing up in D3, he started to play dirty. And again, Adam Banks, say what you will about him. He never has played dirty once. He always plays fairly. He always plays with respect. And again, we want we want after the check, which was also some somewhat illegal. I know that's retaliation, but he still took him down during that. So it's not like Banks doesn't uh, wouldn't do something like that. And by the way, the only real training, like again, he doesn't talk. Like, how am I supposed to know he can relay these things? The only time I ever heard him talk a lot was when he's in the driveway in D two. Uh, doing his own drills. How am I supposed to know he can really He talked that? with Gordon Abambe in that whole scene with him re- reaching the goal of saying he didn't want to let the team down, didn't want to let his father down. He wanted to be the best player. And that's the kind of person I want to be, someone who wants to be there for the team, someone who wants to be there for family, to do the best. And that's someone I want to teach. Whereas Charlie, Charlie like you said, he's not the best Hi. player. He's... he's striking from the record. Oh. Uh, Robert, you get to uh, close first. One minute when you start talking. 
the best players don't always make the best coaches. The people who evoke leadership, the people who can be an extension of their coaches, uh, coaching and teaching goes hand in hand. When Bombay doesn't show up in D2 and uh, Michelle McKay has to come up, who's the one who grabs her? Charlie. Who's the one who goes through all the drills and, and makes sure she is aware of the different understandings of the outset of hockey? It's Charlie. Who's the one who does the recruiting, comes up with the plays, makes plays in D2 to get them back in the Iceland game? Charlie. He was made the captain. He knows he's very knowledgeable about the sport. He's very smart, especially on the ice. And I, a tr people trust him as the captain. And I want someone I can trust to be able to make sense of hockey to me. Banks, yes, he's very talented, but that doesn't mean that you can teach me the outset of what hockey is, uh, especially if like you're very skilled, but I'm not very skilled. Can you relate to me on a, on a, uh, a level, a uh, beginner level. I don't think Banks can do that. He was never put in a leadership position despite his talent, which means he either couldn't convey the needs of leadership or he wasn't trusted. I don't trust him to be able to teach me in a way like Charlie can. And he did. All right, Richard, we move on to you. You have one minute when you start talking. Charlie Conway is not trustworthy. He left his team because things were getting too hard for him. He, he was too hard to cling to his, the old ways of what he knows and wouldn't, wouldn't uh, learn, wouldn't accept to learn any other new ways. He eventually did, but still, I don't want someone to teach me if they're not going to, someone I don't trust, and I do not trust Charlie. Adam Banks is 100% the best person to teach you. He has been with the team up to the first movie. He is a very good player. He can teach you the right things. And he has learned to work with the other Mighty Ducks. He absolutely can teach you a slow way. And also, Charlie Banks was made captain because he's the main character of the film. Adam Banks wasn't. But he's still arguably the best. And I do want someone to be the best. I want to be learned from the best. And again, that is someone I want to learn to teach me to play hockey. Someone who is the very best because they can make me the very best. And it doesn't matter how long it takes me. I will be the best. Good match, Richard. Oh, you too. It's like no one ever wants to catch them. No, sorry. <laughs> I am <clears throat> Judge is ready. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll go first. Um, This was tough. I thought this was probably the best one. This is, was the one that I feel like both were the most knowledgeable on. Um, and arguably the two correct choices <laughs> for the question. Um, I mean, I already wrote it, so I can't change it. I went with Robert. Um, I think that again, I, this was the closest one to me because Richard, it was, is right in the sense of like, if, like there have been many times in the series where they've talked about how his character is the best player. They recruit him. They use tactics to get him because he's the best player. And then he's just always the best player. Uh, but Robert took this from a perspective of like, who do you want to teach you? And Charlie just knows so much about the game. He's the captain. He can be that coach like person for you and i thought that rob or uh, richards hit about like 
well, we're not talking about coach. We kind of are at the end of the day. Like, I think that uh, the way that Robert was able to put into words, like he might not be the best player on the team, but he is the best one to teach you the game. I thought it just worked really well, but it was, it was really close. This was tough. I went with Robert though. Uh, Mark, where are you voting and why? Well, um, first I want to say, um, I did not think um, Bobby Knight would ever be brought up in the context of. Uh, I get it. Um, so just want to bring that up first of all, and uh, you know, I kind of feel like you know you you read the question, and you just, I just feel like I kind of knew where this was going to go, you know, and it went the way it it would, and like for I ended up going with Robert because. Just kind of know, knowing, like, this, the, like, at least these movies pretty well. I know exactly where Richard was going. And it's the best way to attack Charlie Conway, the third movie, because he sucks in the third movie. So, I feel like Robert had at least good defenses for that. And Richard, I think, honestly, backtracked at least in the closing for a little bit of where said he couldn't change. He eventually does. I'm like, well, then he, he can't change, like you said in the closing, like. Yeah, I can't bring up Game Changers where he changed back. <laughs> That's canon. <laughs> but, but yeah, I I feel like Robert brought up the points he needed to for Charlie. Like he's he was placed in leadership position throughout the entire franchise. He's I think the most relatable one to teach you hockey, and that he's they've established it throughout that he is uh, that he's considered himself a better coach than a player, and I think that that's what's waiting here. You're muted. You're muted. Of course I am. Uh, Brooklyn, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone? So a couple of housekeeping things. One, I was glad to be here uh, for a hockey-esque question. I was I was on my head uh, to make sure that everybody was getting the rules right. Uh, as a as a as a person who grew up with the NHL, I was disheartened that a college basketball coach was brought up. So I wanted to bring up five. I wanted to bring up five current or former NHL coaches that would fit this role. Scotty Bowman. Quite well. uh, John Tortorella, Mark Crawford, Paul Maurice, Joel Quenville, and Mike Keenan, all similar to Bobby Knight. But I actually would have ended up going with Richard. Um, I thought there was a lot of punches thrown. Um, and I think the nail in the coffin for me was the whole clean versus dirty argument. I think that was, I think that was really good. Um, but Robert brought up some really good points about like, like kind of teaching the triple deke. The whole coaching versus teaching thing was, I thought, thought was kind of a wash because coaching is essentially coaching is essentially teaching. Uh, but yeah, I thought Richard did a really good job with his attacks, but also his defense. All right, well, that means your winner is Robert Kastner. Uh, we are going to go into post-match interviews. We're going to start by talking to Richard. Richard, um, man, a year ago, I would have been out on the porch with you smoking that cig, but holy smokes, <laughs> it's been a year. Uh, Richard, great shit. Uh, you did really good tonight, and honestly, um, I, I, I meant everything I said earlier on about you being one of the most underrated debate players. Uh, your record, you've played, you're one of the players that's played the most. You're now at nine matches. You got a knockout on the record. You, your record is now four and five. Um, one of those guys who just always shows up and delivers fantastic performances, um, even though you claim to be a little nervous or maybe not uh, super uh, you're worried about how you're going to sound or whatever. I thought you did great tonight. How are you feeling about the match? 
ah, I'm feeling good. I'm bummed I lost, but again, it happens. Like it, it's they're just tough categories. Like it was either Adam, like especially the Mighty Ducks, either Adam or Banks, Aaron Charlie or at or Banks. I mean, again. Uh, kudos for him with the Captain Underpants. I did not think that was going to win. <laughs> I tried watching that movie. I was like, nope, I got to turn this off. Can't do it. <laughs> watching scenes. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> like, no, Robert's a great competitor. I mean, I always have problems mumbling my words and always repeating the same things over and over. Just just like, I need to hit certain things. And then, like, the things I think about, I don't think about till after this thing match ended. I'm like, yeah. damn, I should have said this. I should have said that. And again, like, I do think the Mighty Ducks game changer should have been allowed because, frankly, they were, if you were in teacher now, they're going to be adults, and they were adults in that TV show. I, I wish. If I, if, I, if I could, I would. Unfortunately, though, we've said that you can't bring up, like, Clone yeah, Wars right. and stuff in Star I Wars. Otherwise, I would. Otherwise, yeah, I would. Yeah. But, uh, Richard, good, good job today in the match. I'm happy to see you. I look forward to seeing you in the next one. But we're going to bring in the winner today, Robert Kastner. Robert uh another win under your belt your record now uh three and one with a ko your one loss the current champion robert are you gonna make your way there through this tournament uh to get to cody what are you thinking i mean if you know how brackets work uh i have a pretty tough freaking road to do that so uh i mean this is step one of four to get there uh yeah it would be nice to get the revenge on cody but I, I got a long way to go richard made me work for this um i was glad i swept the couple but um you know sometimes you go and you have preconceived notions about like the points you'll get versus the points you won't based on choices and uh you know i won one i didn't think i'd get and i lost one i didn't think i'd lose so that happens but then you got to pick yourself up uh richard's a great competitor uh, i will say that i i do put a lot of work into this i write notes and then sometimes i write my openings and closings because mm -hmm. i want to make sure that i'm being articulate and eloquent with how it is that i get out the argument because i could have stumbles and i don't want to do that i don't want to have that be the reason why i don't get out the so. that's fair uh you kind of alluded to it uh you got a you got a long road ahead uh you are going to be playing the winner of a match that aired oh so long ago so i'm yep. just gonna say it you're playing jacoby bancroft the number two seed yeah um now former champion mm -hmm. how are you feeling about going up against someone like jacoby i know watching that match that cody was basically saying that he will be tough to beat and he will he's a former champion uh i do think uh you know, you're talking about Richard being underrated. I know I'm three and one. I have a knockout, but I still think I'm a little bit underrated with how this goes. Just because people haven't, I haven't been in it a lot, and I, I haven't agree. gotten to do a lot of matches yet. I mean, four is pretty fair, but it's not as big a sample size as people like Richard or other people. So uh, I just think uh, it's dependent on the categories and uh, dependent on if uh, I get swarmed by the wave of Jacoby energy. If I can swim past that, then maybe I can buoy myself and maybe get out of the way but it'll be tough yeah that's fair uh robert i look forward to it we are gonna see it very soon thank you uh for a great match and uh that's gonna do it for us let's get final thoughts starting with brooklyn uh yeah i this was really good i thought um richard is more on the attack side than i than i than i thought initially so that was really cool to kind of see um but yeah i'm super pumped for robert uh robert versus jacoby um i think though that's another like very calm for the most part um so yeah i think that I think that'll be good awesome mark what about you final thoughts 
Uh, yeah. Um, I, I this this one was really close. I, I think um, I can, especially for me, I was. Yeah, I really could have gone either way for at least at least the last three questions. That, and I think at least four. These are probably just some of the funner questions I think I had to be on the desk for. But I uh, know um, Robert Robert is looking like a menace, and you know Richard showing uh, giving a good showing here. Awesome. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight at Fan Zone Debate. I want to thank Richard and Robert for playing. Thank you to Brooklyn and Mark for uh, judging. I've been Tim. We will see you guys on another match very soon. We have got Caleb Coho going up against Brandon Cohen next week. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much for watching. We will see you real soon with the next one. Until then, bye-bye. There we go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.